Okay. If I could get your attention. Is this on? Can you hear it? <laughs> it warms up pretty real good. All right. Okay, we are continuing our series in the book of Acts. As I'm sure you're aware, this is, I think, the, fi the fifth lesson, so we got three more after this. It's an eight-week series. And today, uh, we are in the tenth chapter of Acts. Man, we're moving fast, right? Acts chapter 10 and 11 today. And it's all about change and transition. You know, you had this transition in the book of Acts from the Old Testament to the New Testament and from Judaism to Christianity and and from uh, the old, old covenant of law to the new covenant of grace. So it's all about change and getting out of your comfort zone, just like uh, Jerry in this episode of Seinfeld. I love the low talker. I think the older I get, the more low talkers there are out there. You know, now, what? 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 <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. The transition, again, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, one of the problems is what you could call tradition. Tradition, and one of the great uh, strong traditions that they had in first century Jerusalem, which is where the church started out, was kosher eating laws. And so in today's lesson, that's going to be kind of a barrier to keep Peter from going out and doing what uh, God commissioned him to do. And what are the kosher eating laws? Where did they come from? Well, the book of Leviticus, uh, after the ex exodus, Israel was going into the land of Canaan. And the land of Canaan is filled with the most evil people in the world. And God knew they would be corrupted uh, if they lived there amongst them and weren't separate from them. And so one of the things God did to keep them separate was to give them these kosher eating laws which would keep Israel separate. So in Leviticus 20, verse 23, he says, You shall not follow the customs of the Canaanites, for I abhor them. I am the Lord who has separated you from the Canaanites. Therefore you are to make a distinction between the clean animal and the unclean animal that I'm going to give you. So he gave him a list of, of what they could eat and couldn't eat, uh, and it was uh, mainly to remove them, uh, separate them from the Canaanites. So that's where it came, came from. But when Christ came to institute, to bring in the church in which Jews and Gentiles would now be together, all who believed in Christ, that kosher eating would be like a barrier between them. And so we see, let me read you uh, what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees came in in Mark 7 and said to Jesus, why don't you and your disciples carry on our traditions? You know, we eat this and eat that and, and you don't seem to be doing that. We have a cleansing ceremony, a ritualistic cleansing ceremony is part of our tradition and yet you don't follow that. And it says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hand with great ceremony and they observe all the eating traditions. And so Jesus said to them, rightly did Isaiah the prophet say of you hypocrites, 
The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So what Jesus was saying is these traditions that they had had basically just taken over their life. And that had become their religion. Instead of having a heart for the Lord and believing in him, they were doing everything. It was all about keeping the law and building all these traditions. And so Jesus uh, explained to them that it's all about believing in God and, and having a heart for God, not for these rules and regulations. And he went on to say, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. So he said, God's Ten Commandments, you break them on a regular basis. But boy, not your traditions. You'll never get caught eating this or that, you know. So he's saying, you nicely set aside the commandments of God in order to keep your tradition. And he gave a couple examples there. And he went on to say, that, you know, you're so interested in these cleansing ceremonies. He says, are you lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but into the stomach and is eliminated? And then he, uh, Mark writes in, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. Jesus declared all foods clean. And so Jesus was saying, from this point on, I'm bringing in the new covenant of grace, and it's not about the traditions and these rules that keep you separate, because now I'm bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together in the church. And so you're to be unified, and we need to eliminate anything that keeps you separate from this point on. And so that was a problem, obviously, for the first century church who's all Jewish at this point in time. And by the way, uh, chapter 10 is probably about 10 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. Remember in Acts 1 where we began? And Jesus said, uh, you're going to get the Holy Spirit, and when you do, he's going to enable you, and he gave him the Great Commission. The Spirit of God will come upon you, and you will share the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, that outlying area of, of Jerusalem, and then... Samaria, which is just to the north, and then the whole world. Well, 10 to 12 years later, in chapter 10 now, we see that they have shared it in Jerusalem and in Judea, and then amazingly, because they were forced out, we saw that last week, God literally forced them out because, through the persecution, they'd gone all the way to Samaria. It's like going, we went all the way to Plano <laughs> with the gospel, you know. And so now they have, still haven't really figured out, Peter and the guys have still not at this point in Acts chapter 10 figured that they are supposed to go to the rest of the world, all the Gentile nations. They still feel like we've got to keep separate. Our traditions that we grew up with, which still have a tight grip, a tight hold on them, you know, we've got to eat different, and you can't go in a Gentile's house because they're unclean. They don't do all this ritualistic ceremony to stay clean like we do. So you can't even, uh, there was uh, gen, all Gentile cities like Caesarea, which is where uh, the uh, guy's going to be, the uh, centurion's going to be that he's going to go see in today's lesson. That was almost all Gentile city, and they, they wouldn't even go in there 
much less go into a Gentile's house because it, they, they considered it unclean according to their traditions. And so uh, the traditions were a powerful force in the first century that were, just had a grip on them. And God had to act, had to intervene to change that in order to bring, to bring down all the walls that separated everybody. And so God, uh, that's what chapter 10 is all about. God is going to act to accomplish that. Uh, and he's going to intervene in Peter's life and use him as the first one that goes out in, in chapter 10. So traditions are a problem for us as well. Uh, the story goes, I know people are grow, grow up in a church and it's like they can't, they don't feel like they can leave that church. So the boy said, Dad, uh, what is a traitor? And Dad said, well, he's a person who leaves our church and goes to another. And the boy says, well, what is a man who leaves some other church to join ours? A, a convert, son, a blessed convert. I mean, that's how we feel, like, I, my grandparents and my parents and my, you know, and I've got to continue this tradition. And uh, so it's still a force like that. And we still have, each church has got its own traditions. They're a little bit different from the other churches. And we tend to observe those more than what's important, the basics of the gospel and our uh, loving relationship with Christ. So... I think the workout gurus talking about comfort zone, which, which we all want to be in our comfort zone. We don't like change. They got something they call muscle confusion now. So when you go to like a personal trainer, they'll give you different exercises because if you do the same exercise every day, your muscles get used to that and they stop improving. So they try to get you out of your comfort zone by doing all these more difficult exercises and your body gets sore the next day and you... You know, you, you get out of your comfort zone, right? And you don't like that. So the same thing is true uh, in our spiritual life. We get in a comfort zone like Peter and the guys were in, you know. Uh, they were perfectly willing to share the gospel with the Jews and even the half-breed Samaritans up there because God had, had shown them that. But they still hadn't gone out into the Gentile world. They were still resisting the change. And so God had to intervene. And, you know, how does God intervene? Sometimes it's through circumstances in your life, and other times uh, he just changes things against your will. You don't have any choice, you know. You're just thrown into these uh, new changes or, or things that happen, and you don't have any control over it. Uh, but God has always got a plan that he's carrying out even in those situations. So in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter and the Jerusalem church... Uh, was still basically just witnessing to Jews and just didn't have it, even though God, uh, Jesus had given them the Great Commission and it was very clear, they still just didn't get it. Uh, they, they weren't willing to get out of their comfort zone. So in uh, chapter 10, and by the way, uh, in those days, you know, we think we got barriers today, you know, politically, to be politically politically correct, you're always talking about having diversity and everybody's afraid of being called a racist and all this stuff and we think, you know, you've got all these divisions between us. But in first century, they had divisions and cliques and issues like this that make our looks very small. 
Consider that 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. So you had a huge division between slaves and free. You had the Roman occupation forces in all these countries, and so the people there were considered by the Romans to be inferior. By the people there, they hated the Romans. Uh, also, women were viewed as chattel, just you know, property that men owned. Uh, there was a huge disparity in education, in class, and in wealth, much more so than now. You, even in the, amongst the Jews, you had the Hellenistic Jews that spoke Greek, and you had the Hebrew Jews that spoke Hebrew. So, I mean, traditions just were all powerful uh, in the time that Peter was Peter and the guys were ministering, and so it was a it was a big deal. And God had to act to bring everybody together in this one body of Christ. So we see uh, the event that God used initially in chapter 10. Uh, Simon Peter was actually in Joppa, which is a, a port city there in uh, Israel. And it says, now there was a certain man at Caesarea, which is a Gentile city. It's where the Romans, uh, literally Herod the Great built Caesarea for the Romans and built a palace there for a Roman governor to, to live in. And so uh, in Caesarea, another port city right up the coast, there was a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort. Uh, a centurion was uh, a guy, he was a non-commissioned officer who had uh, control over a hundred Roman troops, and it was, it was a big deal. And they typically made quite a bit of money because the way the Roman army operated, when they conquered a nation, they got to keep, they got to go in and loot and, and take all the spoils, and they divided it up between the men, and the uh, centurion would get a bigger share. And so at the end of his career, he, he might be uh, quite wealthy, as this guy probably was. But he was unique. He was a devout man. He was unlike the other Romans who were polytheistic, you know, many gods, the Roman pantheon of God. This guy believed in one God, he and all his household, and they had been giving alms to the Jewish people. So they were not Jewish and were not circumcised and were not kosher eating, but they recognized the God of Israel and were actually giving money to uh, the Jewish community. And they prayed to God continually. So, I mean, these are the, you know, you've heard the term seekers. Uh, this Cornelius guy and his household were like that. They're like, I know there's a God in heaven. And they were looking for him. They were praying for him to come into their life. They wanted a relationship with them. Uh, and the idea of fearing God is, has that reverence and that awe and that respect for God. And so God is going to honor that and send Peter into this guy's life. And so in verse 3, we see that about the ninth hour of the day, this Cornelius saw a vision. And, and he saw in the vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him, being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended to God and he has heard you. So now dispatch men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter, Simon Peter. And he is staying with a certain tanner named Simon, 
whose house is by the sea there in Joppa. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. And so what just happened was that God is not only going to have to prepare Peter to send to this guy, but he had to prepare this guy to receive Peter. It's interesting. Uh, the same thing happens when you, when you share Christ with somebody. The exact same thing happens. God is going to prepare their heart to hear the message, and God is going to enable you to deliver the message. So he's going to help you speak the gospel, and he's going to help them hear it. Isn't that awesome? But that's, what happened. that's what's happening here. He's prepared uh, Cornelius to receive Peter, and he's, he's looking for Peter to deliver this message for him. But at the same time now, God's going to have to prepare Peter as well. So what does God do? On the next day, verse 9, as they were on their way, so these guys are coming looking for Peter, but it, also, meanwhile, in Joppa, Peter went up on the housetop. They, you know, they had flat roofs, and it was cooler up there, so they would go up there at the end of the day. And he's waiting on uh, his dinner to be made by his uh, people who are guesting him. And uh, he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, sort of. And he beheld the sky opened up and a certain object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of animals, four-footed and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air, now, what did he see and what was this about? He had always been trained in his traditions and he'd always eaten just a certain kind of animals and not others. But in this vision, what God was showing him was every kind of animal. And what he's going to tell him in the vision is, take and eat all of them. And naturally, you know, like, like we would all do, we'd go, no, I can't do that. These foods are unclean, you know. He just has that ingrained in his brain, just like all the traditions we have. I actually witnessed to a guy for a year one time, and we got to where we were meeting every week, and uh, he was a member of a certain tradition that you can guess at that was that is real powerful. And uh, they never teach from the Bible at all. You know, they don't even allow their people to have Bibles. They tell them what it says, and... And he grew up in this powerful tradition, but he was interested in what the Bible had to say. So he, he liked meeting with me and, and hearing about it. And uh, he, he qualified our meetings one time. He said, well, i got to let you know, uh, my great-great-great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents, all the way down were, you know, this tradition. So there is no way I could ever leave it. It's impossible. My my, all my great-grandparents and grandparents would roll over in their grave. It's an impossibility. I cannot do it. So if that's what this is about, I'm out. And I said, no, 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 no. Just, hey, we're just here to study the Bible. And if, you, if the Bible changes you, then it just does. But that's what we're going to do. How about that? And he said, I want to do that. So after about a year... Guess what? Without me even knowing about it, somebody comes in and says, yeah, I met a guy at, uh, yeah, this guy goes to an evangelical church that you also know, and he says, I met a guy that said uh, that he's being mentored by you. And I said, who's that? And he, he's, he told him his name, and, he, and I went, 
No way! The guy had left the traditional deal and had made the move on his own. So nothing I could say, no way I could ever persuade him or sell him to moving or, or doing anything, making a break from his traditions. But the Word of God, the Spirit of God used to change him, to change his heart, change his way of thinking. And that's what's going on here. Uh, if you tried to talk Peter out of his tradition, I mean, you'd never be able to. But God is going to use his spirit and his word to change Peter's heart, and then he's going to do the same thing with Cornelius. And so he's, uh, Peter's seeing this vision and, and wondering what in the world's going on, and the voice says, verse 13, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No way. Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again, a voice came to him a second time, so he had to repeat it. What happens when you fail the test? Retest. <laughs> Got to test you again. Go through it again, Peter. And so he did it again. And again, he heard, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this, God had to do this three times. Peter is very much like you people. Very stubborn. <laughs> and so finally, after three times, Peter at least got it. He still wasn't with the program, but he was willing to obey. And now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision he'd just seen might be, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there, and while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit of God says to him, made him feel or impressed him or maybe spoke to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Arise, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them to you for myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you've come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So Peter goes, wow, does this have anything to do with that vision I just had? You know, he's probably trying to connect the dots. And so he invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day they got up and went. And the following day, verse 24, they enter Caesarea, Again, that completely Gentile city that heretofore Peter would never even have gone to, much less to the guy's house. But now, after God's intervention, these two worlds of Peter and this Roman centurion are going to collide. Two worlds that were separated by this dividing wall are now going to be joined together. The wall is going to be torn down by Christ. And so he goes to Caesarea with these guys, and there's Cornelius waiting patiently. You can imagine. And he called together all of his household, his relatives, and all his friends, expecting this Peter guy to show up. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. So <laughs> he had a little bit of a wrong impression here. He thought, God is sending me, you know, a, a godly man, and I need to... 
because that's what the Romans did. They worshiped people and things and what have you. So Peter, Peter uh, raised him up and said, no, 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 stand up because I too am just a man like you. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. So his whole family, everybody he knew was there waiting. Peter would be like, what is the deal? I walked right into a crowd of people. I didn't even know they were going to be here. Uh, he said to them, you yourselves know. So how is it that Peter's there? That's the first thing he's going to tell them. I want you to know that God called me to come here. And you know that it's actually heretofore been unlawful for me, a Jew, to come to a Gentile's house. So I can't believe I'm even here. But God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean now. So something's happened, something's changed, and here I am. I don't know what's going on, but I, here I am. And that is why I came without raising any objection when I was sent for. And Cornelius says, well, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house, and now Cornelius explains to him what they're doing there, why they're assembled, why they're expecting Peter. And he tells them the whole story about the angel who came to him and told him to expect Peter and to send for him and what have you. So he says in verse 33, so I sent for you. And that's why uh, you have come here, because we have both been, I've been commanded to hear your message, and you've been commanded to speak it. That's the way it works. God is sovereignly involved in evangelism. And opening his mouth, Peter says, well, great, okay, well, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Now he knows. Before, he, he didn't get it. So God has really clued him in on this. He says, but in every nation, the man who fears God and does what is right is welcome to him. And the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, and Jesus is Lord of all, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. So everybody in that whole area had heard about Jesus and all the miracles he did and the incredible things that he taught and the crucifixion and the claims of all of his followers that he had been resurrected. So in verse 38, Peter says, You've heard of, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. So he's probably talking about his baptism. Remember that when... Jesus first began his ministry. He came to the Jordan River, and John the Baptist was down there. And what did they see? They saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him, and they heard God's voice, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so Peter is recounting that, beginning of his ministry. And then he went about doing good, good deeds, helping people, healing all who were oppressed, and God was with him. And we, Peter's talking about the apostles, are eyewitnesses of all the things that Jesus did both in the land of Jews and in Jerusalem, and they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible. Not to all people, but to witnesses, those who believed, those who were chosen by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So he 
showed himself to us, everyone who believed, and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. And of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. And at that point I think Peter had a whole bunch of more stuff to say and a closing argument and then an invitation and he was going to really bring it you know, to them, right? They interrupt him. They interrupt him and they say, enough, we believe. We're in. You know? And I, I just feel like Peter was saying, what? No way. You do? And so you see, his, he's really kind of surprised. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed. So Peter had brought these witnesses. I think he wanted you know, some eyewitness to say, you guys come with me and you be my witnesses when we go back to Jerusalem. What happened here? Because I don't want to get in trouble. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed. All the Jews were amazed at what was going on because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. They weren't expecting it. They were shocked of this transition. But it happened. They couldn't deny it. And all these people who were now filled with the Spirit were speaking with tongues. And we saw the, a couple of weeks ago what, the, what that means. With, they were speaking in foreign languages. So they, these guys were probably, these Romans were also probably speaking Hebrew or something, praising God in Hebrew. I don't know, it doesn't say. But they knew for sure that this was a miraculous event, the people with Peter. And so they were amazed. And now in verse 47, their conclusion is, well, that's it. Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized. That kind of indicates that before this, there would have been objections. There would have been a jack, if not from Peter and these guys, from the other Jews in Jerusalem would say, well, no, it's okay. We can make these guys proselytes. They'll have to be circumcised. They'll have to go through a cleansing ceremony. They'll have to get kosher for 60 days and on and on and on. <laughs> but no, they immediately were saved the minute that they believed and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And so Peter and the guys said, nobody can argue with this now. And so we must not refuse the water for them to be baptized. Those who have received the Holy Spirit, that they received the Spirit, they're just like us now. God has brought them into the family of believers, the church. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So they were going to fellowship. Let me give you uh, six steps real quick that just, what just happened here? Six things that I noticed. First of all, and I said this before, God's preparation of the speaker to deliver the gospel. So God prepared Peter to extend the gospel uh, presentation and the invitation to Cornelius and all of his guys. Uh, and then also, God prepared the receiver 
he changed his heart. He softened his heart so that he could not only hear it, but believe it and make it his own. And in Peter's case, it took three. He was the more stubborn guy because it took three visions for him. It just took one for Cornelius. Uh, Secondly, we see both of them submit to God's will. So even though it's against their tradition, either one, you're talking about either Peter or Cornelius, they both submitted to God's will. And you see, when when I was thinking about this uh, sending Peter, I thought of Jonah. And I think what hit me was they were, Peter was in Joppa, and I said, oh yeah, that's where uh, Jonah was. Remember Jonah the prophet in the Old Testament? And the word of God came to Jonah to go to Nineveh to deliver the, the gospel to these Gentiles. And, and Jonah said, what? No way. He wouldn't go, you know. And so I thought about that, and I remember, okay, they're both in Joppa, but Jonah, Jonah went away. He went the opposite direction, whereas Peter went ahead and went to Caesarea. And he did God's will where Jonah didn't. Both believed the Gentiles were unclean and couldn't be saved, and they didn't want to go. Both struggled with God over his own will versus God's will. So Peter was saying, I would never do that. Jonah said, I don't want to, you know. So there was a battle between their will and God's will. And both were shocked when the Gentiles believed and were saved. And of course the big difference is Jonah had to be physically forced and Peter went on his own. And we see that Peter is, I think, happy at the outcome as Jonah at the end of the book of Jonah was not. But you see both, both just they're very parallel stories in that God's involved in preparing both the speaker, the deliverer of the message, and those who receive it. Remember the sign of Jonah. And so thirdly, we see the gospel. Peter, what does he present? What does he deliver? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about him and he presents it effectively. Very simply, it wasn't at all like he, remember back in Acts chapter 2 when he delivered the gospel in the streets of Jerusalem to the Jews? He gave a history of Israel on that one and talked about the Old Testament and the prophets and the whole deal. But he didn't have to do any of that with this group. They didn't have that history that that Peter had to go through and, and talk about how Jesus fulfilled it all. These guys just were eager. They were seeking. They just had the truth delivered to them, and they ate it up. They didn't need a history lesson like the Jews did back in Jerusalem. Uh, Fourthly, the fourth thing that just happened was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so when when we uh, studied, uh, again, Acts chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago, we saw the Spirit come upon everyone that believed in Christ, and it happens here again just as soon as these Gentiles believe. The Spirit of God comes upon them. And that is a huge thing because there's no way these people would be able to come together. As I brought out before, they had such divisions and such differences between them. It took the Spirit of God to to change their hearts, to bring them together. And we, we see that in the book of Ephesians. You know, Paul talks about that, and he talks about bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together. In Ephesians 4, he said, look, there is one body of Christ. There is one spirit, one Lord, 
one faith, and God who is over all and in all. That's what it's about. And so the Spirit of God is in us, and the Spirit of God is in them. No matter what our differences are, the Spirit of God is bringing us together in Christ. So we don't change the way we look. We don't change, you know, who necessarily who our best friends are or who our family is, right? But what changes is our heart. And we come together with other people who are different from us because we both have Christ in our heart. That's what brings us together. And then fifthly, we see a public profession of faith. So the Spirit indwells them, and then you see a public profession of faith. Uh, water baptism, that's, that's really what it is. When you're baptized, you're standing in front of the whole crowd, who, you know, wherever you are, in public, and you're committing yourself to Christ. That's a big move. People typically don't want to make that commitment. They want to leave themselves a little wiggle room, right? Maybe later on, maybe this is an emotional thing, maybe later on I'll change my mind. So I'll give myself a little room here, you know. And uh, no, when you stand up, and whether no matter how you get it done, whether you're immersed or sprinkled or Whatever it is, you're making, they ask you that question, you know, what is the basis of your faith? And they, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. And it's a public commitment in front of everybody, in front of God and everyone else. And you see that here. And then lastly, six, what we just saw here, is a fellowship. Now there are people who didn't even talk to each other or have anything to do with each other, who would never go in the other person's house. Now they're staying together, and they're asking questions, and they're, they're having fellowship. And I imagine this uh, Cornelius guy wants to know everything. What did Jesus do? What did he say then? And, and is it really true that this happened in Jesus? And, and tell us again what he looked like. And tremendous fellowship about how the Roman army worked, and what he did as the head of a legion? No. Or what the traditions of the Jews are? No. It's all about Christ. That's what they had in common. That's what they had in common. So fellowship. Uh, all the things that divided them now were taken away, and they were replaced by Christ, who drew them together. So, you know, our country is, I was thinking about this, our country is kind of divided along all kinds of racial and ethnic and poor and rich and all these other ways. Uh, and, you know, what's the problem and how can you ever fix it? You know, I, I looked up a bunch of words like union. Uh, people who are in a union, they have an affiliation, a kind of a, a working relationship, but no, no real common bond. And then there's the word uniformity. That makes everyone actually totally alike. Everybody's exactly the same. Well, that, that, that's not going to happen. Then there's unanimity. That's an agreement on specific issues. We're never going to do that. So unity, however, refers to a oneness of heart. In your heart, you're linked together by this common bond of Christ.
And that's the difference. That's what Christ is asking us in the church to do. Not look alike, not think alike, but to have this common bond of Christ in our heart and respect each other in that spiritual relationship because we have a similarity of purpose and living for and serving Christ. That kind of trumps every, di every division that we have. That overcomes every problem that we have with each other, whatever, whatever they might be. And this is what God is going to do to keep us all together in the church. And that's the only thing that will ever solve those uh, problems of that kind of diversity that we all struggle with. You know, in the uh, Temple Mount, talking about division and stuff, in the Temple Mount, we've actually, archaeologists have actually uncovered a sign that was there in the first century temple. You know, they had walls, and then they had walls inside of walls, and in, and in this outer court, the, all Gentiles could meet. In the inner court, uh, Jewish men and women, and then you had another dividing wall for only Jewish men on the, in, on the inside. That divided everybody up, right? And in Ephesians 2, let me, let me read this to you. In Ephesians 2, Paul uses that as an illustration. It's a great one to illustrate what's going on here. Uh, this dividing wall said actually had a sign that said, no Gentile may enter within this wall on penalty of death. It was serious. And in Acts 21, you know, when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and put in jail for like four years, you know what his crime was? They thought, he didn't do it, but they thought he was going to bring Timothy, a Gentile, into the inner court. And they wanted to execute him because of it. Big deal. Big crime. So everything to keep us separated. But Christ has torn down this wall, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2. He himself is our peace between each other who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So Paul's even using in uh, Ephesians 2.14 that image of the dividing wall, Christ having torn it down. We have nothing between us now. And, you know, we all need the gospel, whether whatever your race is, whatever your language is, whatever country you're in, whatever, whether you're rich or poor, we all need the gospel. We all have a great need. And we're not at peace with each other, and we're not at peace with Christ uh, if we don't have the gospel. The world would have you believe, you know, you go out in the world, and the world will have you believe, I'm okay, you're okay. You know that best-selling book. Everything's good. I'm great. You know, that's what they have you believe in a lot of the prosperity gospel churches. But the fact is, we're not okay. You know, how you always go. You know, when you sit, greet with somebody, you always say, "How you doing, man? Oh yeah, I'm doing great." You know, that's just kind of what you do. Uh, one time, I saw my friend Kelly McCann, who most of y'all know, who's <laughs> hilarious, and I said, "Hey, Kelly, how you doing?" He says, "Do you really want to know?" And I said, no. <laughs> he said, because I got a long list of problems and infirmities I'd love to tell you about. 
And it came in actuality. I said, no, I don't want to know. And so God is telling us everything is not okay. You've got a great need in your life. You need Jesus. And your sin is the real dividing wall between you and God. Your sin divides you from your heavenly Father. And only Jesus can tear down that wall. We can't build a bridge over it. We can't tear it down. So God's answer is Christ crucified to tear down that wall and mend that relationship and bring us back into that relationship with him. And within that relationship with him, we can have a new relationship with people. If we get our, our vertical relationship with God worked out and peace with him, we can also have peace with each other, just like we saw here between Peter and Cornelius. And, you know, people think there's different gospels. I was reading this thing about all the different gospels that people preach. How about this one? The gospel of inevitable progress. Isn't that great? And it's, it's about Darwinism and the human race is uh, evolving and getting better and we're going to work out all of our problems with all this technology and, and uh, inventions and what have you. And then you have the social gospel, that Christianity is all about feeding the poor and housing the homeless, helping the don, downtrodden, curing all the social evils. That's all great. That's all great. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. When Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, what message did he preach? And when Cornelius believed, and when he was saved, what message did he believe? The gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for our sins. That's the message. That's what brings us together with God, reunites us. And that's what's the only thing that's going to bring us together in the human race as well. Let me close prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with your word. Thank you for this great story about two men who had everything against each other. There was no way they could ever be friends, much less brothers in Christ. But you had prepared Peter and you prepared Cornelius and we see the result. We also know, Lord, that in that relationship with you that Christ has made possible, we can have the same common bond. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>